Welcome to the Jonah Carey Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, friends. It's always great to be chatting with you. I hope you are well. I appreciate your support. Today's guest is Pete Prisco. Pete, a colleague at CBS Sports. Terrific longtime NFL writer for CBS. Uh, a renaissance man. A good dude. It was a pleasure to talk to Pete. This is a nitty-gritty football podcast, so if you want to get caught up on what's going on in the NFL, because we're getting to it, we're getting deep into the playoffs and all that, this one is for you. Uh, you will definitely appreciate it. Lots of analysis of the teams that are still in there. Uh, we do go more macro, so if you want to get into, like, Tom Brady's legacy and stuff like that, that's also in here. Pete Smart, uh, witty, great to talk to. So I had fun doing this. This was a good one. Um I want to mention that some programming notes, uh, because this is relevant to that. Um, I had recorded another podcast, which was actually going to run in this spot this week, but I am saving that for uh, a series that we're going to be doing, which you will uh, become aware of soon. I think I might have teased it a little bit, but uh, Brad Botkin and I uh, did a podcast a little while back in which we talked about the top 100 active athletes. So not Gretzky or Michael Jordan or Babe Ruth and not even Usain Bolt, who just retired, the top 100 active athletes, and it raises the question, what is an athlete? Uh, do you go with the guy who doesn't ooze athleticism but has four championships or not? Which sports even qualifies athleticism? Can we get into auto racing or rugby or whatever? Uh, it's a great debate. Brad and I get into it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to roll out a series of podcasts uh, to back that up. You will see that coming down the pike pretty soon. Those are going to be fun. I've already recorded one of those, um, so we'll be running that pretty soon, and there will be more pods to come, and we might pick up the frequency of those too. So stay tuned for all that, uh, but you'll enjoy them. They're a lot of fun, and it's going to be with some really cool people whose names you will know very well, and oh, you got that person. That's really cool. That that will probably hopefully be your reaction to it, but yes, it'll also be about athleticism and all that good stuff. Uh, since this is a football focused podcast with Pete. And since I know that my audience, some people are super into football, some people are maybe not that into football. And it's not a traditional one hour. Hey, tell me about your life story about growing up on the farm in Nebraska or, or whatever. Uh, let's do this as a little bit of bonus and run a little longer on the intro. And we'll get into some baseball talk just briefly. And I want to mention the Hall of Fame just because it's that time of year. I wrote about the Hall of Fame for CBS Sports last month, my annual a December column in which I get into it and kind of pick who I like. Feel free to check that out as far as candidates go. But looking at the balloting right now, and shout out to Ryan Thibodeau, of course, not Mr. Tibbs, T-I-B-B-S on Twitter. Does a great job of compiling ballots. And 41.5% uh, of the vote is known. Chipper's at 98%. Vlad, 94 Jim Tomei, 93 Edgar, 80 Trevor Hoffman, 78 And then below, just below the line is Musina Schilling, Barry Bonds, and Roger Clemens. First of all, Vladdy, yes, Expos Nation, see you in Cooperstown, July 2018, uh, second straight summer for Expos Nation. Pretty cool. I'm excited about that. But uh, it's interesting what's going on. You know, there's a debate about Trevor Hoffman. He was the all-time saves leader uh, for a little while. And uh, a great, great relief pitcher. There's a question about should relief pitchers even be in the Hall of Fame at all. Uh, I am not necessarily a proponent of relief pitchers going to the Hall of Fame. But Hoffman did have a great career. From everything that I've heard, not that you're voting on this necessarily, I don't care that much about the character clause, but seems to be a great dude. Uh, read um, uh, Dirk Hayhurst's book. I think it was his first one. He talks about Hoffman and what a like awesome and cool guy he was and an interesting mentor and all that. So, uh, yeah, no complaints of a good guy and a great pitcher gets in, I suppose. I, I'm, I'm a bigger Hall than smaller Hall guy, I think. Anyway, I do go by credentials, and I believe very strongly in Jay Jaffe's Jaws formula for doing this. 
But if somebody gets in, uh, who, whatever, doesn't necessarily qualify as a statistical markers, that doesn't really bother me. It bothers me more if somebody who's deserving doesn't get in, and I'll tell you why. Uh, this past summer, getting a chance to kind of get to know Tim Raines a little bit better on a personal level and you know, just the people around him and all that, it means so much to the player. You know, Trevor Hoffman's, I don't know if she's alive, but she is her mom, his mom, and his siblings, and old friends, high school coach, you know, all that stuff. These people show up, and it's just this celebration of a life. And it's such a cool, cool thing. I did get to experience that this past summer with Reigns. And so anybody who gets in, you know, Tome, Edgar, all these guys, they're all great players. They're all magnificent players. The fact that they're up for this is great. But, um, you know, all these debates about, oh, well, this guy's war wasn't this, or get your head out of the stats book, or this person voted poorly or whatever – it comes down to the guy. It comes down to that person and what he achieved in his career and the pride of standing up on that podium with freaking Johnny Bench and Willie Mays and my God, it's, it's crazy. Hey, Aaron, it, it's crazy and, uh, and really cool. And, and, uh, you know, if you're a real baseball nut and a romantic, it's fun. It's fun to go for an induction. I mean, heck, you could get four or five inductees this summer. I, that's pretty good. It was four last summer too. I'm not counting Bud Selig and John Sherholz, of course, four former players. So yeah, uh, could be really fun, and uh, this is a good crop uh, for the summer as well. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to see how the vote plays out and uh, and all that good stuff. Uh, speaking of Twitter, I've mentioned this before. I am not well. I am sort of on Twitter. Uh, uh, my articles are being auto tweeted. I guess you could say. So are my podcasts. I am not engaging in Twitter or social media anymore. Uh, I think I discussed it a little bit earlier, but bottom line is I don't have the time nor the inclination. It's become a pretty tough environment in general, and uh, and I'm just busy and have children and other things to deal with. Uh, but feel free to hit me up anytime. You can email me through uh, my website, jonahcarry.com, which is a clearinghouse for all my articles and all my podcasts and all that good stuff. Uh, do that anytime, and I would love to hear from you, and I'd love to communicate with you anytime. The support is always appreciated. This podcast is like, what are we, this is 2018, so this is eight years now, nine years? I don't know. It's been a long time since I've been podcasting. And uh, it's a personal connection that I feel that I have with all of you. And uh, it means a lot that you continue to listen. So thank you for that. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode with Pete Prisco. I hope you enjoy the series that's coming up. And I hope you enjoy whatever's going on in your life, friends. All right, we're in the thick of NFL playoff season. Let's get to it. The venerable, the knowledgeable, the wonderful Pete Prisco. Pete, how are you? What's up, Jonah? How are you? I am great. And the NFL playoffs are in full swing. We're going to talk about the slate of games that we just witnessed this past weekend and also look ahead to what lies ahead. And you know what? Since you're Jacksonville-based and since I am absolutely a Duval-till-we-die kind of guy, 
Uh, my friend Tony Khan, of course, is uh, heavily involved with that franchise. I feel it necessary to talk about the upstart, although maybe not so upstart because they were the home team, but the Jacksonville Jaguars. The fact that we're talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars as serious contenders is bonkers amazing bananas. Let's get into it. Why are the Jacksonville Jaguars about to play the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, and potentially go even deeper into the playoffs? Well, first off, Tony Khan, your friend, you need to give him dancing lessons. Okay. <laughs> Why is that? You know, I, I know Tony, too. and I, You guys, I know you get the analytics guys. You, you guys are together in that world. But, Tony, come on now. I, I love you, Tony Khan. But, come on, Tony, you need to tell him to work on his dancing a little bit. Did you see that yesterday? I'm sure you did. I, I didn't see it because I was kind of in transit doing a bunch of different things. But I did text Tony congratulations afterwards. But I guess he, his celebration was not uh, what it could have been is what you're saying. No, I mean, he just, it was, you, you have to see it to believe it. I will watch. And when you do see it, you will text him and tell him, you need work on your dancing, buddy. Well, that's a shame. I mean, the guy's in shape and stuff. He works out, so I don't think it's anything like that. I guess it's just a lack of rhythm or, or whatever. But listen, I can't lay claim to being, uh, you know, Fred Astaire myself. So maybe, maybe us analytics guys just have that as a defect. I don't really know. Yeah, it was actually funny. He's a good, he's a good kid and, and he's very good at what they do. And look, they're a surprise team, no doubt. I lived there and I spent a lot of time around them in the summer and I thought, oh my gosh, this team will be lucky to win six games. Mm. And it's unbelievable where they are right now. And, and I give a lot of credit to, uh, you know, look, I didn't think Doug Marone was a great hire. I'll be honest with you. And yeah. he's done a good job with that team. And Tom Coughlin coming in there and Dave Caldwell still there and they, they put together a hell of a defense. You know, offensively, they're still very limited, as you know. Yeah. I mean, then Bortles was terrible on Sunday. I mean, he was just absolutely awful. Right. And I mean, that seems to have been the diagnosis coming into the season that even if you were a Jaguars optimist, the best you could say was, okay, not a great quarterback. Yeah, they drafted Fernand and that's all fine. But if this team is going to even kind of be remotely in the mix, it was going to lie on their defense. So I guess what the question becomes, you recognize that they were going to have a strong defense and yet you still thought that they were going to win six games. They go on to win much more than that. They win their division and now they're playing the Steelers. How far can a great defense and a really limited offense Take you. Are we talking about Trent Dilfer Ravens kind of stuff where they could actually win it all? Or is this where they hit a wall and they get overwhelmed by a team that could play on both sides of the ball? Well, if part of the problem is, and I thought this was their game plan on Sunday against the Bills, was they thought that, you know, they're so good on defense that they didn't think the Bills were going to threaten them, so they didn't try and do anything. Yeah. And, and they didn't allow them to do anything. They didn't throw in first down. I think going forward against Pittsburgh, they have to allow Bortles, and this will sound crazy after the way he played on Sunday. They allow him to throw on first down because the game was too predictable. And I've seen it over his career. I've watched it closely. When he goes bad, he goes really bad. Hmm. When he plays when he plays well, Jonah, they allow him to throw on rundowns early in the downs, early in the downs. So I think he needs to throw more on first down. Right. Remember when he had that stretch yeah, early right. in December? He had eight touchdown passes, no picks. He was mm-hmm. playing as well as any quarterback in the league. He was thrown on early downs. He was thrown on first down. And they got to get back to that, I think, against Pittsburgh. Right. And obviously, it's a different story compared to what it's been in the past, where they don't have Robinson and so forth. But they do have guys who can catch the ball. We know that. And like you said, I mean, if he's given time to any quarterback in the NFL, if he's given time to throw, could potentially do it. And as good as the Steelers' offense is, this is really maybe just underscore before we leave the Jags. How good is this defense compared to some of the better NFL teams you've seen in the past few years? Because to me, it's... It's right up there. It's right up there with some of the best. They're so, so stingy. Uh, you know, not that the Bills were an offensive powerhouse, but they've done some damage against some good offenses, too. Yeah, I worry a little bit about a couple things. They've been run on a little bit this year, yep. which is why they went and got Marcel Darius to begin with. And 
and, and they still get run on a little bit. That's a concern. And I don't know that they have the dynamic pass rusher. They have a lot of good ones, and they've got a lot of sacks because they've piled up a bunch of numbers, particularly in two games when they got double figures in both those games. But they don't have the Von Miller kind of guy. Right. You know, that, that guy sack, fumble, game over in the fourth quarter or sack, fumble, turnover, seven points. They don't have that guy. So they got to manufacture him. Those are concerns of mine. But, but you know, the way the game is played right now, they're one of the better defenses for because they are so fast on the back end and they do rush the passer and their linebackers can run. Well, I'm here in Denver and I did see Vaughn Miller at a Nuggets game very recently and he looks like he doesn't have much to do. So maybe they could just call him up and borrow him. I feel like that's a good idea. You know what? They would they would love to see him because <laughs> if they put him on that defense, it would truly be special. So let's move on to the other AFC game. And to your credit, by the way, you picked three out of four wildcard games correctly. This was the one that you didn't. And to be fair, wow, what a barn burner of a game this was. And it didn't look like this team would prevail. The Kansas City Chiefs, who were the favorite in this team in this game, you had them winning. Looked like they were going to win it. They were up 21-3. to And then a massive comeback by Mariota and friends. Tennessee prevails by a point. What happened here? Well, look, when you looked inside the numbers, and the reason I thought the game would be close, you saw that the Chiefs had real problems with their average yards against in the run game. Mm. And I predicted, I said before the game, I sent out a tweet, I said, Derrick Henry is going to run wild today. And Mm. and people, early in that game, I was getting responses from people, and they were killing me. Well, (laughs) eventually, you're going to run the ball on a team that can't stop the run, and they cannot stop the run. And, And that Titans offensive line, boy, they were really good the other day, blew open some holes, he got running. And once you got running, um, you know, they couldn't stop it. I, on the other side, I thought the Chiefs called a terrible game after they took the lead. You have Kareem Hunt on your team. There's no way you should yeah. only give him carries. That was terrible. Right, and on the flip side, you know, just to underscore your point about Henry, oftentimes when a team falls behind, the instinct is, okay, we just got to air it out, and then the other defense gets set back and play nickel or, or however many DBs they want, and that's it. No, no, the Titans stuck to their game plan. Henry goes for 156 at a touchdown. Really good game planning, you could argue, by the Titans, who didn't change what they were trying to do despite trailing by 18 points. It actually was. They were true to who they were or who they wanted to be all year. They exactly, you know, that exotic smash mouth that they wanted to have all year didn't exactly play out the way it was supposed to. Yeah. And But it did on Sunday. And, and you know, part of the reason I think that they've played better the last couple of weeks is Marcus Mariota's running. Uh, you know, early in the year, he was hurt. I still think he's hurt. I think, he, you know, people won't say this, but there's rumblings he might have to have something, clean up surgery after the season. He just hasn't been the same player. But the last two weeks, he's run. And when he runs, he gives him an opportunity to you know, make plays with his legs. And he can, you know, he stretches the field a little bit and makes a spy on him and can open up some things in the passing game. So I think that combination was why they won the game. But here's another little interesting nugget. Mm-hmm. You know, the New England Patriots are 31st in yards per against against the run. Wow. So I would imagine that Mr. Henry is going to get a full workload against the Patriots. Yeah, and I mean, if Mariota were healthy, then you could imagine him maybe, you know, at least uh, rolling out a little bit and so forth. It's funny, you wonder about the game between the game, too, because, okay, everybody can see this. Henry goes for 156. Patriots can't stop anybody. You know, there's a scenario in which the eight Patriots say, cool, eight in the box every single play, and it might demand play action. It might demand... Zigging while the others zag, while they zig, while they zag, the, the, you know, the double trying to outsmart or whatever. So I wonder how that's going to go, too, where everybody sort of expects one thing, and then maybe Marriott will have somebody running free down the sidelines at some point for a 40-yard you know, bomb, and that'll work well that way. Uh, you know what? The play action does. It, it does open up some things in the passing game, but you know what else it does? Hmm. It'll keep Tom Brady off the field. Yes. 
I mean, if you can run the ball, you can keep Tom Brady off the field. I think that's something that you, when you look at the Titans and the way they play defense this year, they have not been great on defense. They've been they've been a team that surprisingly, with Dick LeBeau being as great a coordinator as he's been over the years, they've struggled particularly uh, against the pass. I mean, they're 25th in the league against the pass. So when you play Tom Brady, you got to be better than that, or you got to keep him off the field. Yeah, and if you look at Brady's, he hasn't had that many big playoff losses, but when he has, and the you know the famous games against the Giants and so forth. It was the other team controlling tempo flat out. Brady could still drive the length of the field in two minutes, not to say that he can't, but at least if you give him fewer you know, bites at the apple, there is the potential there. Any way the Titans actually challenge the Pats here? I mean, we, we laid out the strategy, but when push comes to shove, and we're early for predictions here on sitting here talking on a Monday, but uh, you know, do you see this as a possibility? Can they potentially match up talent-wise? I think they'll keep it closer than, than the, the number. I, I would say that. I think they'll run the ball, control the clock, and – I don't think the Patriots are going to stop Henry. So uh, New England's going to win the football game. I just think it'll be a lot closer than expected. I think they will. In fact, I think all these games are going to be close this weekend. All four of them. I think they'll all be close. Nice. All right. So let's go over to the NFC, and we will talk about – which one should we do first? Let's do the Falcons-Rams game. Uh, that ended up being one-sided. You called that absolutely correctly. Falcons were the sixth seed, but you said, you know what? They're going to take this game convincingly. You know, two turnovers by the Rams – uh, really hurt them, and obviously turnovers are not something you can account for. But bottom line here is that the Falcons' defense did a great, great job and, and uh, a relatively easy victory given the tenor of the other games. What did you see here? Well, one of the, a couple of things. I, you know, again, I go back to you know, being able to run the ball, and they ran it for over 100 yards with the combo of the two guys. It wasn't great rushing numbers, but one of the, the Rams had problems all year long stopping the run as well, and that showed up in that game. And I thought. I thought Steve Sarkeesian has been just blistered all offseason right. after taking over the job from Kyle Shanahan. You know, their offense hasn't been as bad as people portray it as being. And and I thought he got the better of Wade Phillips in that game. I mean, I thought he called a great game. Matt Ryan did a heck of a job managing the game. But, you know, offensively, I mean, you look across the board, everybody say, oh, Atlanta's offense has been – they're eighth in total offense. They're third in yards per play. They're sixth in scoring off. I mean, they haven't been a bad offense, and yet it's portrayed as them being a very bad offense. So uh, I thought he had a good game, and defensively, all those young defensive players. Remember, they started four rookies in the Super Bowl a year ago. All those guys have now started taking the next step. I waited. I thought it would happen earlier in the season, but it's Deion Jones and Keanu Neal and, and the pass rushers up front and Tack McKinley starting to show up as a rookie. They're a fast athletic defense, Jonah. They can get after it. Yeah, and you know, it's funny just thinking about it from the broader perspective. This Falcons team was so good last year, so close to winning the Super Bowl. You go into it, you mention all that young defensive talent. It's not like Matt Ryan retired and Julio Jones went to play baseball. They still have a lot of the same dudes. The fact that they're a six seed, I don't know if that's that much of a difference. It's a new season. It seems to me that they could run the table in the NFC and get back to the Super Bowl. Or maybe I'm crazy. You tell me. No, they can run the run the table. I mean, look, they got the benefit of playing an Eagles team that doesn't have its quarterback. That always yeah, helps. That's good. Um, so that that's going to be to their advantage. And then they probably, you know, they the next game would be inside whoever it is. And remember the one bugaboo for the Falcons over the years, people used to say they couldn't go outside and win because they played inside. Well, whoever wins the other game, that game is going to be inside. So uh, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, look, they're playoff tested. It yeah. people tried to downplay that last week. The Rams. They had two guys, I think it was, or three guys that played in a playoff game. That matters. These guys are playoff tested. They know what it takes. They're. I said it before the playoffs started. They would be a dangerous six seed, and I'm convinced of it now. 
All right. And one more. Let's talk about the Saints and Panthers before we kind of do a little bit more in-depth preview of next week. So this was a, a barn burner. 57 points were scored. Drew Brees, 380 and two TDs. Newton looked good. Entertaining football, certainly. Uh, about You did predict the Saints to win. Did the game go about how you expected? Did you figure high scoring? Did you figure that kind of tenor? It certainly was a lot of fun to watch. You know, in the last two weeks, both defenses had major problems. Yeah. Both of them. Uh, you know, the Panthers heading into that game had given up almost 700 yards passing in the two weeks before that to Atlanta and Tampa Bay. So that, that to me set off the, the alarm, you know, that, that Drew Brees could be back to throwing the football around. Uh, and he did. I mean, they did a great job of stopping the run and the Saints have run the ball this year with Kamara and, uh, and Mark Ingram, but yeah. they did a great job of taking the run away. But you know what? That's the great thing about the New Orleans Saints. They always know if that run game isn't working, they got a Hall of Famer who's slinging it around and can do it when he's asked to do it. So, no, I wasn't surprised what the Saints did. Little surprised uh, that Cam Newton played as well as he did in the second half because he hadn't been passing the ball very well at all this season right. uh, and really played a good football game. And, again, I go back to New Orleans. They had a little lull at the end of the year on defense, and that will be a little concerning going to Minnesota. Yeah, no doubt about it. Obviously, the Vikings aren't necessarily a high-octane offense, but certainly an effective one, and they're kind of a ball-control sort of team, and it sets up a, a fun matchup in that respect. And so let's let's jump ahead. Let's do that. Let's get to the first of four next week, and that is Saints-Vikings. You know, again, Vikes can score on you, but the idea here is, uh, despite paying, playing on the fast track indoors, given who you're playing against, it's the Saints. They're going to want to play ball-control. Uh, you know, how do you see that matchup playing out uh, given everything that's going on, potentially with the contrasting styles as well? You know, you know, it's interesting. They played in week one and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the Vikings won that game. The leading rusher in that game for the Saints was Adrian Peterson. He tied Kamara <laughs> with eight yards. He's wow. long gone. <laughs> Sam Bradford was the quarterback for the, for the Vikings and threw for over 300 yards. He's long gone. Yep. <laughs> you know, you talk about Dalvin Cook. He was their leading rusher with over 120 yards. He's long gone. It's an entirely different game. Um, I think the Saints playoff, again, a playoff battle tested team uh, against a quarterback who, you know, people still sit there and say, and I think he's played great football. When does the clock strike midnight yeah. for, for Case Keenum? Uh, so I think it's going to be a, a fun game to watch. In the end, though, I always lean to the quarterback, and the better quarterback is Drew Brees. Right, and as you said, it, it's an indoor track in that respect, and that helps him a lot. Yeah, it's so funny the way that the teams have changed uh, – change names and, and all that stuff. I, I have to expect Randy Moss and Ironhead Hayward to star in this game. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. Maybe uh, maybe Kramer will enter in a quarterback if Keenum isn't working out. We'll see. Uh, let's go AFC and we'll go Falcons-Eagles. And yeah, I mean, I guess you got it. If we're sticking quarterbacks, it's Matt Ryan against not Carson Wentz. That's a big problem for Philly. One thing which could be interesting, though, is that, and again, we don't know exactly, but the weather has been so bananas on the East Coast. We could see rough weather in Philly. Could that be an equalizer for the Eagles, who might end up being a home dog in this game, potentially? And the Eagles are really good stopping the run. Yes. So if it gets into that situation, that could be a big advantage for them. Um, yeah, that if the weather's really bad, that could definitely help. Uh, the Falcons, no question about it. I'm going to look right now and see what the forecast is. But uh, look, either way, the Falcons are not comfortable inside. They, I mean, outside. That's right. not what they want to do. That's not how they're built. Um, they don't want to be one of those teams. So, yeah, that's definitely something that can be an equalizer. But for me, you know what, if I'm the Falcons, I'll say, I'll take the weather. But I'm glad Nick Foles is in a quarterback. I mean, if they had Carson Wentz, this line would probably, you know, they're the, they're the first Six seed to be favored over a one on the road ever. So if wow. this line, you know, if Wentz is in the game, that line is probably 
five eagles or four eagles. That's how big a difference that is. Yeah, I'm looking at the forecast right now. Actually warm this weekend, but raining. They're expecting rain and a high of 50 on Saturday. So maybe muddy and wet, maybe not. We'll see. Not snow, not a polar vortex or a bomb. What about wind? What's the wind forecast? Let's see. We're playing meteorology here. 16 miles an hour. I would call that moderate wind. Yeah, that's not too bad. If, if Sometimes, you know, if it's wet and rainy and the ball is wet, then a quarterback can have problems with it. But if it's windy, that's when you really have problems. But that's not too bad, so that shouldn't be an issue at Listen, all. Listen, Matt Ryan went to college at, at BC. Let's not pretend that he was at, uh, you know. And he's from Philadelphia. There you go. He can handle right. that stuff. He's in a robust soul. It should be fine. Uh, be. Let's do Jag Steelers. And uh, we talked a lot about the Jags. So tell me about where the Steelers are right now. Obviously, they got the buy. They're a great team once again this year. Uh, you know, what do you see as the right off into the sunset and they win by two touchdowns scenario? And what's kind of the negative? What are the, the goods and bads to look for with this Pittsburgh team? One thing I worry about, and we saw that this week, they didn't play guys in the last regular season game, which means they're going to be off for three weeks. Hmm. And we saw with the Rams, it took the Rams a while to get going, you know, and they look like, you know, they didn't play the last week. They looked like they had some issues. And the Chiefs rested guys in the last week, and, and they blew a lead. So I, I want to see how the Steelers come out, how they respond after having guys off. And then the other thing you got to watch is Antonio Brown. Yeah. I mean, he's going to play. He tore up his calf or pulled a calf muscle. But you never know with a calf. Anybody who's had a calf injury before knows sometimes you think you're back, and then you try and go all out, and that thing can, you know, can pop again. So he, those are two things. And then there's always the hangover effect from the last time they played him. Roethlisberger threw five interceptions in that game <laughs> and was dreadful. Yeah. He was dreadful. And he's talked about it again already about wanting to face him again. So that tells me that it's in his head. It's already, the Jaguars are already in his head. And one of the things I've noticed over the course of the year, Jonah, is the teams that throw the football quickly, like Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers had a success against Jacksonville a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Because he gets rid of the ball, and the ball comes out. Well, Ben Roethlisberger has a tendency to hold the football. Yes, he does. And Jacksonville has, does nice job against guys who hold the football. So I, I think, again, that defense is really good, but I don't know if Jacksonville can win a game up there. I, I, I just the running game, which was good early, ran for 180 yards. You know, he, Leonard Fournette, the first time they played him, I, I just they haven't run that well in the last seven, eight weeks. That's a concern of mine. Yeah, no, fair enough. And let's go to that Titans-Pats. And, and we talked about the Titans uh, a fair bit. Pats, we mentioned, aren't very good against the run. Obviously, they have Tom Brady. I don't know, maybe Belichick is coaching the CFL next year. We'll see what happens. But where are we at with this Pats team? I mean, are they all that? Or, you know, should, or should we expect them right now to you know, beat the Titans, take care of business against Jags or Steelers, and go back to the Super Bowl? I mean, are they that good? I expect them to. Yeah. You know, people will make a big deal out of that. Story in the, that ESPN had the other day, distraction. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be a problem. Look, once the ball's kicked off, guys go play. Yeah. Period. End of story. They go play. So I, I don't think it's going to be a distraction. You got the arguably the greatest coach of all time and arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. When you take the field with the, that combination in any way, shape, or form, I'll take my chances with them. So yeah, I, I would say they're the favorite to go back. Now they do have flaws and, yes. and sometimes the flaws show up. The right tackle, Marcus Cannon, not being there. That could be a problem as they move forward. That could be a big issue. Uh, you look at their defense. They don't have an elite pass rusher. They've done a nice job of stringing together some sacks and some pass rush. But there's no hand on the ground, knock the ball out late in the game, guys. 
that could be a problem. Now, they did pick up James Harrison. He had two sacks last week, but I still don't know if he's that guy at his age. Mm. And then, you know, then there is the issue of, aside from Gronk, who is the pass catcher down the field? Yeah. And they might get Mitchell back. They might they'll probably have Hogan back this week. That'll help them. But who is the, the big-time threat down the field? So add it all up. They're still the favorite, but they have some flaws. Picking on the right tackle for the Patriots. Talk about cannon fodder, sir. So there you go. I had to do that. Yeah, with him not being there, that, I mean, it hurts. He's a good player. Marcus Cannon has become a good player. He's not in the lineup. That hurts. No doubt. And, and just one side question here. You know, especially my audience is so broad. It's every sport, whatever. But Brady's such a, a, just an obvious topic to tackle. I mean, he's over 40 years old. You know, we talk about the, the, probably the greatest quarterback of all time. But he's not 30 anymore, and he's just as good. And, you know, uh, on a sideline, Brad Botkin and I are working on kind of this long-term project, and it has to do with athleticism and sports and all that. And I wonder about quarterback. You know, is this the position where we should expect more of this in the future? Should we expect a 39-year-old Marcus Mariota to be dominating? Are we at that era now where because guys aren't allowed to headhunt quarterbacks, because it's an easier game, you know, more wide open in that respect for offenses, that guy, acknowledging that Brady's an outlier and he's the best, should this become potentially the new normal where we're going to see more Matt Ryans and Mariotas and so forth just be really, really good deep into their career? Or is it that Brady is so transcendent he alone could quarterback until he's 47 and that's about it? You're forgetting Drew Brees is 38. Brees, that's true. Brees, absolutely. And Rodgers is getting up there too for that matter. So Yeah, yeah and 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 Philip Rivers is old and yep. Ben Roethlisberger. What is Ben Roethlisberger now? He's got to be... Uh, maybe? I think he's older than that. That's I right. mean... And and Eli Manning is is well, up Manning's in the year. Roethlisberger is thirty five. Thirty five. Okay. Yeah. So he turns thirty six in March. Yeah. You know what it is? These guys. A. You mentioned that they don't get hit as much, but B. They're taking care of their bodies yes, more now. Yes. I mean, Drew Brees is a fanatic. Tom Brady, you know, he's a fanatic. <laughs> That's for sure. I mean, Rivers does it. They all they take care of their bodies, and the ball gets out quickly, so they're not taking as many shots. So yeah, I think these guys can play to the 37, 38, 39, 40. now. Some people will sit there and say that Brady in the last four or five weeks of the season wasn't the same guy. Right. Well, he went to Miami, and the night game, Miami was all jacked up, and he didn't have Gronkowski. He had a bad day. But other than that, he's been fine. He will be fine in the postseason. He will be the same Tom Brady. Well, and, and just to further that point, too, if we establish that quarterbacks are maybe an even more valuable commodity, that if you get a guy, you can squeeze 18 years out of him, does that further escalate the mania that we see in the NFL for quarterbacks. In other words, you know, we get to next year's draft and does Mayfield go much higher than we expected? Do we see all kinds of trades for backup quarterbacks where we're giving up two first rounders or whatever that because we recognize that if you get that guy, not only is he your franchise guy, he could be your franchise guy for a couple of decades. Will the market for quarterbacks even further escalate from what it is right now? Yeah, because you know why? A great one cures your ills and a bad one exposes them. Yeah. So... Yes, I think you'll continue to see that. And until you fill that position, you got to keep trying every avenue you can to fill it. You know, I, I used to be – I'm still a big proponent. If you don't have that guy, draft one every year. And even if you have that guy, take a flyer on a guy late. Hmm. Look, the New England Patriots got lucky. I, the whole dynasty is based on luck. And they, the Patriots, they, they get mad at me when I write that. But the truth is yeah. – they waited until the sixth round to get Tom Brady. And they drafted a defensive back by the name of Antoine Harris in that same round ahead of him. Mm -hmm. They got lucky. Sometimes you just got to get lucky. But if you get that guy, 
He solves all your problems. I love uh, what ifs in sports, and I'm contemplating the what if if what if Tom Brady had pursued his other career in which he was drafted as a catcher in 1995. By which franchise was he drafted, Mr. Pete Briscoe? I, I should know. Was it? Gosh, who, I know this. I've re, it wasn't the Giants, was it? It was the Montreal Expos. Maybe the Montreal Expos still exist and they're a dynasty because 20-year veteran Tom Brady is the heir apparent to Gary Carter and leading them to glory. Who knows? Look at you. with your That's your Expos. That's my, of course, every podcast. This is like by contract I have to bring up this nonsense. So. You have to bring up the Expos. You have to bring up uh, Cromartie, right? It was, it, was it Warren Cromartie? Warren was that Cromartie. His name? Of course. You got to bring them all up. That's right. Uh, Pete, this has been a pleasure. You're a gentleman and a scholar. I will read you at CBS Sports. Uh, follow you on Twitter at Pete Prisco, right? At Prisco CBS. Prisco CBS. Prisco That's right. Prisco CBS. And uh, yeah, great, great coverage of the NFL playoffs with Pete and the rest of the crew. It's a deep cast uh, here at CBS Sports. So check all that out. Pete, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Absolutely, Jonah.